welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barty Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is the rookie, Chris Stashew. I have all 10 of my fingers. I just checked. Also along for the ride is, well, we've got a special guest. He's here from Internal Affairs. It is Mr. Otto Bruno. I have not done an anatomical check, but I'm pretty sure I'm all here. Yes, on this episode of the podcast, we are talking about three episodes of the original Barney Miller show. We are in the fifth season, pretty much smack dab in the middle of the fifth season. We're talking about three episodes, Toys, which originally aired December 14th, 1978. The Indian, which aired January 4th, 1979. And Voice Analyzer, which aired January 11th, 1979. We've got a Christmas episode here, guys. It's a Christmas time. Yay. It's a very subtle Christmas episode. Yeah. Very, very. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about toys. So I guess it kind of, yeah. It's not like these days where it's just like, oh, how do you celebrate Christmas? How do you? Well, there's a, there's certainly a lot of discussion of Christmas in this one. We don't actually see as many of the amenities of Christmas as we did in the, that first uh, one where Nick gets the blue tree. Yes. But, um, but it's discussed quite often. And, and in fact, this was, of course, the first uh, time we had seen Chris's favorite, Liz Muller, in quite a long time. Oh, is, is that the perception among the listeners of this show is that I'm a Barbara Berry stan from long ago? Because you're right, I am. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Those of us who have listened to the show know that you are Barbara Berry's biggest fan. I don't want that. <laughs> this is the last time she comes by. And boy, oh boy, do we get wrong footed here because we were headed straight for divorce town. And it looks like we've made a turn down Reconciliation Alley. But nope, fuck you. We are not going anywhere down that street. This is the last time we're going to see Barbara Berry here. I'm really disappointed that at no point in this episode did Luger show up and go, Hey, Bonnie, are you getting divorced? Uh, like, where's this interaction episode? Where is James Gregory? The question that's being asked by all the kids right now on the street is, where's James Gregory? Because they mention him. They mentioned him. And that feels like a missed opportunity. Don't mention the man. Give us give us time with him. Well, but he, 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 you can't have him in every episode. He was in the episode right before. There, so he was in the radical. Was it? Which was the episode that preceded this one? But that's not the one we're talking about right now. I know, but what I'm saying is, he was never a, a weekly character. That's fair. No, that's fair. I mean, I get it. It's just I like him a lot, and he would have added something to this episode, right? And I don't want to, um, I don't want to give anything away. But while Mike is correct in saying that we will never see the likes of Liz Miller again, um, I might as well give it away and say that they are headed toward reconciliation lane. Oh, okay, good. Wow, that is surprising. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, so they reconcile, but we just never see her again. Correct. Well, Correct. to be fair, they were together all those times and we never saw her then, so <laughs> all of a sudden she shows up when they're on the rocks, but when they're fine, who cares, right? Right. And I, I think this was basically a case of giving in to the fans because some of the guys who wrote it, like Tony Sheehan, were telling me that, I mean, people were livid when they separated. Livid. So um, it's part of Barney's wholesome image. Is that what it is? Because that's kind of what it feels like, right? Like he's the wholesome married one. Nobody else seems to be married, but he's the one and he's got his life together. Yeah. I was afraid we were going to go down the path of... Uh, 
Barbie starting to date. Oh, no. And nobody don't. wants to see that. Let's be honest. I don't know. There was that one episode where he was getting hit on by that woman and it wasn't awkward. It wasn't as awkward as I thought it was going. To be. Right. Are you talking about the prostitute or? Well, no. The, ther- the doctor. The therapist oh, that was right. like, hey, you're pretty hot with that mustache. <laughs> Well, that prostitute from the hostage episode, or not hostage, the uh, where oh. where they're trying to take over the apartment building. Oh, eviction! Yeah, eviction! Yeah. yeah, yeah. She seemed all about that mustache. She wanted to go for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> you two are lewd and lascivious. Well, that I'm living up to our reviews right now. I'm getting tired of people telling us that we swear too much, that we're too woke, all this kind of garbage. It's just like, <laughs> we're talking about the show. We love this show. I, we keep getting these remarks that we don't like the show. If we didn't like the show, we wouldn't be talking about it for how many years are we going to talk about this show, Chris? Quite a few. Yeah. Okay, actually, you know what? Let's take this opportunity because I'm going to ask Otto here. We we have him here, folks. He's hostage. There's a gun to his head. You just don't see it. And this is a audio medium anyway, so I'm an old guide. <laughs> so let me ask you something. You've listened to our show. You have not only listened to our show, but you've spent more time with <laughs> Barney Miller than any person other than the person writing a book about it should have. Are we fans of the show? Um, you know, I, yes, you're obviously fans of the show. That goes without saying. I mean, I, I kind of agree with Mike. I, I, I think if you're devoting all this time to it, I think you're obviously a fan of the show. On the flip side, I could see where where older people would say, oh, they're so woke. They're so Because Chris, you and I have had this discussion before. Because I say this to my daughter, I, I don't, I mean, in many ways and in many areas and on many subjects, I would be considered woke. At the same time, I do also feel very strongly that shows should be seen through the prism of when they were made. Agreed. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and a lot of the times, I'll say this too, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest. You have to listen to your podcast, to the Barney podcast. You have to listen to more than one episode because if they've never listened to anything else, particularly with you, Chris, they have to know your sense of humor, in my opinion. Funny? Me? Never. Oh, no, I don't think you're funny. I don't think I'm funny either. Well, trying to be funny. Oh, okay. Not trying. Okay. I'm glad. I am glad that everybody could interpret me as trying to be funny. No, I've been just failing upwards this entire time, frankly. No, I, no, I'm, no, but in, in, oh, I'm being serious. People have to listen. Right. Like with any podcast, quite honestly, you have to listen to get the feel for the hosts and how their delivery works with the material that they're covering. I mean, I think that. I think that goes without saying for any podcast that I've listened to, quite honestly. Yeah. So um, so I could see an old person getting all upset and bent out of shape uh, if you're, you know, the, uh, criticizing something that they say or do that's no longer acceptable. But I don't think that I, I, I would agree that you're obviously not going to be spending all this time <laughs> on a show that you're not faking. So uh, so that would be a little silly. That, yeah, that's, I mean, that is the thing about doing anything with any TV show, anything is you have to watch it countless times and you have to do research outside of it. It's, you know, we're, we are just like you did with your book that you can pick up over at Bear Manor Media. Uh, we're in, we're in inserting ourselves into Barney Miller and standing within 
the precinct and trying to be as part as much a part of the show as possible because that is how you have to like you've already said experience this kind of media because it is from a time and place that it's not foreign but it feels distant from where we are now well sure it's almost 50 years old and uh and if people only listen for example if people only listen to you at the beginning if i'm not mistaken remind me i don't think chris was crazy about Luger at the beginning, and now he seems to love Luger. Yeah, that's one hundred percent correct. Well, and we have rounded the corner on Levitt as well. Boy, haven't we? Oh, yes. Well, there you yeah, go. both of us have, Mike and I, because I I yep. want to say when he when he showed up the first time, Mike, like we were both like, oh, why is this guy's going to be here the whole show? Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, don't you think I should uh, get a promotion? And I kind of liked it here where he shows up in the plain clothes, you know, with that horrible Herb Tarlick type jacket that he's got going on. Are these episodes out of order, though? Because he shows up with the jacket, and then in the next episode, he's like, hey, Ares, what do you think of my jacket? It's like, well, he was already in this jacket, though. You know, you know, Chris, you make an excellent point. Okay, I'm not crazy then, right? That, uh, that oh. did happen out of order, right? Because in my book, I'm, I write about, like, the episode right before this that we're talking about that Luger was in. He says, Inspector Luger mentions how hot it is for October, but the episode air. Uh, so why, wow. you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you know when it's going to air, why would you even mention a time? Right. You know, just say, oh, it's hot for the fall or something like that. Why would you say an actual name of a, uh, of a month that can be traced back, you know? That was just weird because, like, Harris Harris as a character, there's no way he wouldn't have seen Levitt and been like, holy shit, because his reaction was so visceral when he asked him about it anyways. Right. Well, it's funny because I think in the last episode, too, the radical, uh, there's, I can't remember if it's Harris or Wojo talks about how old Barney's suit is and that he shows up in this one in a brand new suit, which no one, and as Uzi wrote it, it's a suit with a vest. Barney never wears a vest. Yeah. So he looks real dapper in that suit, though. He does. Yeah. Well, he does. But I'm just saying, you can't not expect anyone to know. Oh, yeah. Oh, for like, if he had shown up without his mustache, we'd be like, is something different, Barney? Like, yeah, you don't have a mustache, man. Like, what the yeah. fuck? So we always break down things in terms of A, B, and C plot. I would guess the A plot is this kind of reconciliation that Barney's going through, even though it's really very much at the beginning and the end of the episode, we go through a middle part there where Liz leaves the precinct and then she'll be back later on. And she's making room for a little bit of the, what I would consider the C story, which is, and I, I, I know the gentleman's name is, is Sidney Lassick, but I just call him Cheswick from his role in one flew over the cuckoo's nest <laughs> and that he is playing a crazy person. Essentially, he is very claustrophobic. And so when they put him in the cage, he loses his mind. And then the B plot for me is these two toy makers who are rivals. And one of them hires a thief to go over and steal things from the other one. And like basically stealing his inventions, it's intellectual property theft, including that it's, it's so funny because it's basically like slime is the stuff in a jar and I, I don't know if this was a new thing back in 1978 going into 79 
But this stuff now is so popular that my granddaughter comes over. It's like, can we make slime? And they have like slime kits. Like you can use Elmer's glue and saline solution and a few other things. And they will sell a kit of this stuff with colors that you can put into it and all this. And it's like this huge thing. So hats off to you, Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I can't remember if it's uh, the Stefan Metterling character or, or, or which one it is, but they, you know, this is going to tear up the market, if not now, at least in 40 years. I want to point something out that I would pay money to watch you make slime, Mike. Just to see, just to see you making slime. Just like, <laughs> what am I doing here? I've done it so many times. <laughs> That's amazing. I uh, no, it was really funny because yeah, like slime. I think as like it's it's kind of part and parcel to the growth of YouTube in a way. It feels like like a lot of the early growth on YouTube was like at least in the tens was like slime videos and people making and selling slime. So to see it in this kind of like such a, like such a starting spot, it's in like a glass jar that this guy's like, I've got this invention here and it's going to be stolen. It's going to be so popular. Yes, you're correct. Pogo sticks on the other hand, I don't know. Like that's the question I have. Slime is slime a fad like pogo sticks into hula hoop though? Because again, it kind of feels like it in a way now even. So I know there was some slime that was pretty popular when I was a kid, but it wasn't the cottage industry that it is <laughs> now. I mean, it was kind of like you would buy like the egg type of thing and you could get one that had the silly putty inside or you could get the slime stuff or it would have extra, it was more like the yellow like almost like Play-Doh type of cup and you could get slime in that. And then just, yeah, all over your hands. And I think they would even market it as snot in some cases. Yeah. Slime came after me. That was after my time. And yeah, I knew silly putty and Play-Doh, but that was the, I, the only thing I knew slime from was when my kids were young and watching, uh, uh, Nickelodeon. Oh, yep. you can't do that on television. Yeah. There you go. Thank yeah. You. So, well, which is totally not the same type of slime that we're playing with now, which is much more viscous and right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm more of a thinking putty man myself. <laughs> Instead of it being silly. That's a real thing. Thinking putty is a real thing. It's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great fidget toy slash uh, resistance tool for your hand at your desk. I'm not oh. joking. I'm not joking. I'm being dead serious. Aaron's crazy. Aaron's thinking putty. Oh, okay. It's kind of like the stress balls and all yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, they have one that's like they have one that's like magnetic, and they have one that's like like heat based. All right, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where this guy. That's where Stefan Metterling. He just became crazy Aaron. Oh. Crazy Aaron slime. Well, Stefan Metterling, Wait. played by one of my favorites, Walter Janovitz. And Janovitz was first of all, I remember him fondly from The Odd Couple when I was a kid because he did a couple of episodes of The Odd Couple. But he was also, he, I think he was in like 10 or 12 episodes of Hogan's Heroes. Nice. And if I'm not mistaken, he and I, he was named Otto. And he drove the truck that would bring the guard dogs. You know, he'd take the guard dogs, oh, oh boy. guard dogs in. And he knew Hogan and the men and he knew what they were doing and he would help them sometimes. Um, but he was in a number of of Barty's. This was actually his first or second, but he'll be, no, his second, because the first one was in half. The first one is when he's the Polish actor in half. Mm. Uh, yeah. So this was his second episode. And as you said, Mike, Sidney Lassick, this was his 
first of two Barney episodes. Uh, and yes, he always played those high strung, uh, you know, neurotic characters uh, like he did in um, in One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. He kind of so reminds me of like portly Burt Young. Yeah. Yeah, like, like Bert, but like he, like I don't know, something about his face makes him play that crazy, that kind of crazy, perfectly, right? He yeah, does he, it so well. Yeah, like he was in a movie called Pandemonium that I absolutely love, and yeah, he just he plays a nut so well, and uh, he was one of the teachers and Carrie. Yeah, every time he shows up, and I know he was in cool as ice of all things but yeah whenever i see this guy i'm just like oh it's mr cheswick this is great and he's so good yeah the things i've seen him in i always think of him as as very childlike oh yeah uh as he as he is in this you know because yeah sincerely sorry you know later when he's apologizing to to uh liz right i think her i'm waiting for him to say i don't want his cigarettes i want my cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. He is very sincerely sorry that he has, you know, kind of gone off. And I knew as soon as I saw this guy, I wrote Bellevue in my notes. And right. <laughs> there he goes once again to our show's favorite place to dump the crazies. Yeah. And I was wait. Go ahead. Go ahead. The guy who plays his rival in this, uh, the actor's name is Zachary uh, Berger. And in the show, he plays Nathan Berman. Um, he will be on Barney one more time in probably the most serious episode ever done of the Barney Miller show. Oh, wow. And this is a show that had a episode titled Rape. Just want to point that out for everybody at home playing along. Yeah. Well, and I yeah. think we've seen just recently, we saw one of the most serious ones. Trust me that the, the ep- I, I think once you see it and after, I, I can't remember now off the top of my head. Have you seen Rape already? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, once you see the one that he's in, it comes in season seven. Um, you will, I think you will agree with me that it is definitely the most serious episode. And in fact, believe it or not, this is going to make it even crazier. In that episode, he plays a guy who runs a joke and novelty shop. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Typecast on Barney Miller. Wow. Well, he, as you will see, he, he ends up being a very different character from today's there. He's, I bet he, I honestly, this episode's, I think this episode's A plot is the weakest. I, I, I'm go, I'm just going to say this. Um, having Liz in this episode didn't add much, unfortunately. I mean, it felt very kind of throw away. It felt like them just going, all right, well, like you said, Otto, people didn't want this. So we'll have her show up and give her this kind of one off. And now she's gone and they're back together. And yeah, like I said, they don't have to address it now because they didn't really address it when they were together for five seasons. So uh, just write it out to the end the way you've already done it because they've already done it for more than half of the show at this point. Like why? I don't even understand why they had him and her getting separated to begin with. If this is what they're going to do anyways, like what what was the point? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I from the way... I understood it. No, I don't think this was how they always planned on doing it. I think right. they probably did plan on having them separate and get divorced, and then she would be gone. I think they ended up, again, this is opinion on my part, I think they ended up giving in and just saying people were so upset that we'll just bring her back one more time. And like, and and I agree with what you're saying here, too. It's not, it, it feels forced because it's, 
it's totally exactly what you said. It's what they're doing. They're just bringing in him, are bringing her in and trying to put a bowl on it and make everyone feel better. And then we still won't see her any again after this. To the point where they have her stab all the characters going, hi, Liz, over and over again. It's like, yeah, they do know her. Like, we mm-hmm. we know we do know that. Other than Landisberg, who, who has to introduce himself, which which I did appreciate that they did keep that continuity at least. Oh, right. And and can we please acknowledge one of my all-time favorite lines when Metterling says, let me tell you about the toy business. It's all thieves and cutthroats. And Dietrich says, I thought it was mostly elves. <laughs> that is a great line there's uh to your point chris about uh no luger in this episode i thought for sure that he was going to come in and help ernie like kind of uh, what's the word i'm return the favor because you know luger's the lonely old man and here's barney possibly going to be alone at christmas time but i was very happy that wojo comes in and he's just like hey you can come over to my place and do this whole thing and i wrote in my notes like oh wojo seems to be maturing and this whole thing and like oh you know i'm not i'm not banging chicks every single night yeah come on over and then when the when it turns later on when he's he's like sad like oh, i'm so sorry wojo i'm not going to be able to make it and he's just like yeah, no, that's cool. Just basically like, yeah, no, I do want a floozy over, so I'm good. <laughs> Wait, he even goes as far as to say, like, I was lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, Naked Gun, where he's like, I just have all sex with all these women, hot young women, all the time. Like, and Barney's just it. like foaming at the mouth. <laughs> yeah, we get it, Wojo. It's you're a good looking guy. Yeah. I, I will say, Otto, I do want to thank your book, uh, which you can find over at bearmanermedia.com for uh, forever placing into my mind that that's a toupee on Max Gale's head because I, honest to God, for the longest time, didn't realize it was. I, I never would have picked that up. I mean, it's funny. I was um, really? we're doing a, a rewatch of Scorpion, that computer nerd show, um, kind of like the Kids, but grown up Kids. Um, and Max Gale just showed up in one episode and he's, you know, he's been bald forever, but I didn't realize that he was bald when he was Wojohowitz. I always thought that with that weird, like Caesar hairline that he's got, I thought for sure that that was just the style of the day. Well, I was watching it with my folks and my mom was like, man, what's up with his haircut? And I was like, that's a toupee. (laughs) That is a toupee. That is. And I never noticed anything weird about his haircut. And all of a sudden it's like, I can't stop looking at it. I always thought that was obvious. No, no. Wow. (laughs) Next thing you're going to tell me, Dietrich doesn't wear glasses. <laughs> no, he did wear <laughs> Jacksu actually wasn't Japanese. Right. Shocking, I know. Yeah, it was all just makeup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was very surprised that uh well, I was confused at first when they're talking about Mr. Woodman and the Academy. And I'm just like, is this something to do with David, their son? And is he going to this Academy or something? And then I thought we were going to get a welcome back Cotter crossover because Mr. Woodman was a character that they're talking about. And I was just like, Oh, great. Mr. Woodman's going to show up on the show, but no, unfortunately. And then 
So I wasn't really sure what was going on with this whole thing about the Academy. And then it seems like it turns into talk of their cabin that they have. Would it be Vermont that they're going to? Yeah, or I, think something? So. I think it's Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of nice that Barney can afford to have a, a cabin on his salary. So I don't know. Maybe it's time to call internal affairs, if you know what I mean. Well, we'll, we'll see them before it was <laughs> over, but. Um, I was going to say the same thing. Where's Scanlan when you need him? Just get get him in on this. Barney is up to no good, folks. It turns out, plot twist, Barney Miller is taking bribes this whole time. Interesting was that the reference to, she says, well, you know, David, he'll be up at 6 a.m. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we've seen David in January of 1975 in those that first episode. I'm thinking he's what? At least 11 in that episode, right? Yeah. 11 like that. And this is like four years later, three. Oh, yeah. Almost four years later. So he's like, what? 14, 15? He's, I wasn't still getting up at 6 a.m. with 14 or 15. Maybe no. he has a paper route. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's that. But they do also gloss over, although I know that there were a lot of Jewish people who also celebrated Christmas. But I mean, technically speaking, Barney's Jewish. Yeah, you would think they'd be talking about going out for Jap- or Chinese food. Exactly. <laughs> and asking if Nick was around, asking Nick where to go. Right. <laughs> I'm not Chinese. I don't know, Barney. Right. There, we wrote that. We wrote the piece of dialogue that didn't exist in this episode. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> didn't, didn't Fish do that one? I think something, something to that effect, right? Yeah. Where, where's a good Chinese restaurant? Right. Yeah, I think you're right because I think he he ended up taking out Bernice for uh for a dinner or something. What's yeah. Fish? What's Fish up to right now? Is he like raising kids? Out? Man, it's some precocious to... little shits out there in the bur- one of the boroughs. Talk about uh, detours, Chris. We're going to have to go down that road one of these days. I don't know if we should take a pause at the end of season five and bust into fish territory. If we should save that to the very end and wait that bullet then. Is is that when it would have canonically been? Is it the end of season five? Uh, I think it would have been before. Yeah. 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 I feel like I feel like at the end of season five is as good a time as any to maybe take a a a momentary and not even a detour as much as you know those uh those places along the side of the highway where the truckers blow each other. Love rest stop. (laughs) Oh loves is also good, yeah. But a rest stop, yeah. Like a rest stop where take a take a picture of the uh the historical monument or plaque that's there. Right. We don't need to go and I guess theoretically we or realistically we can't because there are what, like only a handful of episodes of Fish available anywhere, anywhere, anyways? No, it's the first season in Toto. We can get the second one we can look at through like a Canadian video player. Otherwise, I just was able to find like three or two episodes. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like we should at least talk about it because, you know, for me, and maybe this is just my kind of young person's perception of TV in the 60s and 70s, but... People want to talk about like the MCU with spinoffs and stuff. Does anybody remember all these TV shows that exist from like one TV show? The the butler of these people has his own show with the maid and the friend. Like Joni Loves Chachi is based off of characters from another show that were from another show as well. Or is it only one level? It's only one. It's level. just one level deep. Yeah. Okay. But there are some that were like three, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Maud goes to... 
uh good times yeah or like even like last night i was playing golden girls trivia and there's empty nest which was uh, a spin-off of golden girls and then there was a spin-off of empty nest called nurses so yeah these things can generate down the line it's kind right. of wild. well clear started that right both multiple ones see now i don't consider see if you say that about joni and chachi then you're basically saying happy days was a spin-off it wasn't a spin-off there no. was a piece of love american style because they used to do three stories per hour and that was essentially the pilot right for this it's like the simpsons on the tracy ullman show exactly right yeah. right but fish but fish was like the way they were doing these other spinoff shows where it was a character would on the show would leave the show and go somewhere else right so I guess we should watch some of it. You know, again, I think where we came down with Abe Vigoda towards the end of his run, probably it doesn't get much better <laughs> in that show. And uh, according to Otto's book, um, you know, Abe Vigoda is kind of what we expected. And he kind of let it go to his head. And I don't know if the work he was turning in was good on Fish, but towards the end of his run on Barney Miller, it wasn't. So... Well, I think the problem with Fish, uh, I don't think was was necessarily Vagoda's fault. I just don't think I thought I I my personally, and I I think I probably do say this in the book. Um, I I think the premise for Fish was incorrect. Yeah, well, <laughs> Fish with kids isn't that what everybody wanted to see? Yeah, <laughs> what a fucking nightmare! They literally learn from Barty that no one wants to see the home life, and then what do they do? They put him in a domestic comedy, right? It, it, I mean, it, it makes no sense. So, um, on that one, I, I unless he wanted that, which can't imagine, but maybe I don't know. But I think the whole premise was incorrect. Uh, I've said this a thousand times. I think they should have put him as like a security guard somewhere where you could have a lot of loony characters coming through and he could be making his sarcastic asides about all the people that he has to deal with. Exactly. What if he was a cop in the park? (laughs) And he had to dress up and drag every day? Or he had to deal with uh, <laughs> random Charles White Eagles sitting on the benches wanting to die. Oh, boy. You mean George Tenfingers? Yeah. Oh, my Lord in heaven. Yeah. Chris is taking us right into the next episode, The Indian, which, yeah, that I realize this is one of Max Gales' favorite episodes from what I understand, because we're we're talking about Native Americans, which is a uh, cause that is very close to Max Gale's heart. Yes, this was one of his two ideas that he was able to get in. Well, that that from what he said, they promised him he could get uh, at least two storylines in uh, with Native Americans in it. And of course, the other one we don't see until the fourth episode from the end of the series. And that fourth episode actually propels the final trilogy of the show at the oh, wow. very end of season eight. But um yes, this was this was his idea in a sense because he wanted he wanted a couple storylines that would incorporate American Indians into it. Because yeah, he's been involved in the in the cause for oh God, uh fifty plus years now. Oh yeah. fighting the good fight what Max Gale is. Oh very 
very, very close and respected within that community. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got, again, our A, B, and C plot. The C plot in this one, very minor. It's basically Levitt is a little jealous of Zatelli, who is back in this one. It's been a little while since we've seen Officer Zatelli. And from what I I remember from your book, Otto, it is going to be, we're going to get a lot more of Zatelli as we go along here. And I'm hoping that uh Levitt will get out of his funk, maybe stay in the plain clothes for a little bit. But yeah, to your point earlier, Chris, it's weird that he's back in uniform later on and that he's, you know, being noticed in this ugly jacket for the first time in this episode. And there's also a really weird line that Levitt has towards the end of this episode that I want to point out. And I think Otto knows maybe what I'm talking about where, and this might be me being a fucking wokester and it probably is, but I don't frankly care. Um, the line that he has to Maggie Dubois is a little strange because I assume, or it is implied, it's the implication as they would say, that he is offering her to do sexual favors to get out of whatever trouble she might be in? I wasn't picking up on that. I was picking up that he wanted to take her home and was hoping for a little eater, eater once they got there. Well, yeah, but like, but he was expecting sexual something. He was coming on to her in an uncomfortable way. I was going to say, I would say he was coming on to her. Okay. I, of course, of the, of the old and very, very clean mind would not have assumed that he was looking for but <laughs> nowadays we would assume that you know he might have been looking for a future date or something you this know, is right? the same show which involved an episode titled and i quote and otto knows what i'm going to say here the harris incident which or is it the harris incident or is that oh. what what's the oh, not the harris incident the thing with steve landisberg and dietrich right. what was that called oh they were like he groped me and it's like there's no fucking way he's gonna grope that is the only original script that I own because one of the the people who worked on it, Shelly Zellman, sent me her copy. Oh, oh wow. That's amazing. And that was with that that very flighty uh Miriam Bird Nethery. Right. Yep. Who was married to the recently departed Clue Gallagher. Oh, oh okay. wow. Yeah. But um oh yeah, no, they did they obviously they 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 always lightly touched on mature subject matter. Um, but again, yeah, they didn't, you know, they never really went to those places too much. I mean, the, 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 the things that they do and say with, with Wojo is pretty, uh, you know, interesting for that time. The only people who were, u- who were usually being quite that explicit in the 70s was Norman Lear. Uh-huh. Uh, everyone expected that. Um, in fact, I believe... There is an episode later on in the series that will shock you because Harris uses the N-word. Oh, on the show? On the show. Where else, Chris? And and I will tell you. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. I'm sorry. (laughs) Motherfucker. Oh, my God. God damn it. That was a rather common occurrence on a on a Norman Lear show. Oh yeah, well, and especially on uh, my God on, on Sanford and Son, they poof right cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> tonight, where else? Yep, you're. Yep, I deserve that one. <laughs> funny as fuck. <laughs> no, no, they said that to me in five and one. Right, right. Uh, it wasn't Ryan Glass, it was Harris. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, he looked at me and he said it. 
right. I'm actually kind of surprised that he hasn't said it yet on the show because there have been opportunities for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you'll you'll understand when. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> I was very happy with. Well, I guess it would be the the B plot here, which is uh, uh, Alex Elias, who we've seen on here before, and and Chris. Uh, you know, she's more known to us as Hot Coffee from uh, Citizens Band. Yeah, that's right. Love her and her voice, and. And Phil Leeds is back. I think this is like his fifth appearance or something as Horace tor- Chandler. They couldn't torque him out of showing up on this episode. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I get that history of the world part one joke. And <laughs> you would like one other person was <laughs> this episode. Meg, uh, Alex Elias is Maggie Dubois, who uh, she starts off the episode uh, that her shoes have been stolen and yeah, yeah, it's basically if if Quentin Tarantino didn't get a film career, he might turn out like this Horace Chandler character because he's going around taking the shoes off of women and fondling their feet. Oh, oh, like that. Oh, like that. Oh, yeah. And all of that stuff at the beginning is so good. <laughs> and just those knowing looks and how clueless she is. And at one point she's like, have I been violated? <laughs> Yes, maybe. Yes. I love when that's it. And I've been violated. And I love when they catch him and he's got all those shoes in his bag. Like, how long has he been doing this today? You know, this does not seem like a, this is yesterday's catch. This seems like it's all what has been going on today. They dump out all those shoes and she picks hers out of there and, of course, send their evidence. And so she's shoeless again. And that's how Levitt ends up trying to take her home and maybe cheer himself up because he is so bummed about this Zatelli thing and that he's never been told that he does, quote, excellent, unquote, work by Barney. Right. Well, uh First of all, I'm sure I've said this before too, but there are few faces in the history of television that were as great as Phil Lee. Oh, he's so good. (laughs) I love his face. He looks like a living parrot. His uh, his his long lost brother would li- would have something to say with you, uh, Otto, otherwise known as the the other face having human being, Don Kalfa, who looks very oh. similar to Phil Leeds. Like I, they're like so close it could be like father and son or brother and brother. Now I was gonna say uh, Leeds was was older than Kalfa, so yeah, they could have been father and son. <laughs> they have that same like hang dog kind of. Yeah. I don't know the dro- the droop the natural droop of their faces is just so fantastic yeah, and the droop and then the the hair that kind of sticks up sometimes yeah. oh yeah this is Leeds' fourth of what will be seven Barney appearances wow That's wild yeah seven different Barney appear uh, appearances yeah oh yeah he's had so many amazing appearances and he'll just show up in like tiny little things like I remember he was like a uh, uh, an emergency room ghost like when Patrick Swayze sees him in Ghost and he's uh, Dr. Shand and Rosemary's Baby. I mean, th- this guy's been in, I think he had to have been in like over a hundred things at least. I wouldn't be surprised if it was top of 150. And then uh, Alex Elias, she's still working and she's still doing a ton of stuff and she's got that great voice, that great squeaky voice. So yeah, with the two of them, I'm like, just, just give these two a show, you know, whether they're the same characters or not, but these two character actors are amazing. Yeah. I, I would definitely think that Phil Leeds did more than 150, maybe 200 different oh. things. 
I wouldn't be surprised. Within so many things. And in fact, at the very end, I think I think it was one of the last, if not the last thing he did. He played the uncle on Everybody Loves Raymond. Wow. And he at that point, he was like he had lost he was had shrunken. Oh god. Like, you know, a, a little doll he was he was so he must have weighed all of eighty five pounds or ninety pounds by that time. And he looked like he was 120, and he was probably only about 80. But, uh, yeah, he worked a lot for a long, long time. Oh, man. (laughs) And then the B plot is uh, the whole thing with the, or sorry, the A plot is everything with the Indian, the titular Indian, or I suppose we could be politically correct and say the Native American. I think you're even more politically correct and call it indigenous. And man, oh, man, that's... This story and just Wojo's helplessness, like really trying to help this guy out. They find this guy in the park and does he, I I think he thinks that he's dead at first. Is that right? I think he's dead multiple times in the episode because Alex Elias comes in and even thinks he's dead. So I think Wojo brings him in because he thinks he is dead. Right. Well, no, I I think they had gone out there originally. Hadn't he started a fire or something? Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think he had, you know, and he started a fire without permission or whatever, and they bring him in, and then, yeah, he's waiting. The wolf is coming to take him, uh, to take him home, basically. That's right. Yeah. And the only thing that Wojo can think to do is basically take his case as high as he possibly can and contact the Bureau of uh, Amer- uh, Indian Affairs. Yeah. And they send out Richard Stahl, uh, who's another amazing face, is Phil Owens, who, I mean, it, it feels like this is the second or third time we've had an official show up who is just so tired of their job and wants nothing to do with actually helping people. It kind of reminds me a little bit, and I know this is slightly different, the guy who showed up from the UFO Bureau and who was just like, hey, Wojo, you really didn't see anything and just trying to convince him to to basically shove off and not complain at all. And it's basically kind of the same thing, just like, oh, I am so tired of all this stuff and I've got a meeting with the Ojibwe in half an hour and then I have to talk to the Iroquois and he's just, he, he wants nothing to do with this case and he gets really angry that uh, it's been conflated or, or, or uh, brought to his attention. He's just like, no, I, I don't need any of this. Just leave me alone. Beleaguered is probably the term best go. used for these, these official characters. I do like that. Uh, this gentleman apparently thinks that Wojo is the name of the yes. uh, indigenous person. That was good. That was good. <laughs> that feels like Max Gale was like, get this line in there. Make sure this line gets him there. <laughs> well, he hasn't had anybody make fun of his name in like a whole season, I think. Right, man. Yeah. You know, just like it's spelled. Well, right. well the the futility of bureaucracy is a center point of this entire series. I mean, oh, yeah. He visited over and over and over again throughout the series. Yep. And will continue to be. I mean, it's, it is a through point. Just like the paranoids with proof. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, wow, very good. You must have read a, a, a book about this show. I have. Available over at bearmanormedia.com. You've been mentioning the book, but you haven't mentioned the name, Chris. What <laughs> might be the name of that book? Captain Barney Miller and the Files of the Old One Two by Otto Bruno over at bearmanormedia.com. <laughs> That's a sound clip right there. Kind of give credit where credit's due. Like, yeah. It, oh, yeah. 
honest to God, like I love books that do episode recaps. Like the fact that your book has it, and at one point it may not have. I'm glad that it does. Oh, oh yes. wow. you really good memory. Yeah, yeah. You you had, met, you had mentioned to us at one point. I think when we first met you, that there was a moment where you wasn't going to have the recap in it. So, oh, wow. yeah, people, people wanted it. I asked some people who were fans. I'm like, what do you want to see in this book? And that's one of the big things. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. I just wasn't sure. If people got the 171 episodes later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Almost double syndication. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Chris, because I was just told again yesterday by someone who knows me that I'm not a good self-promoter. And I can't disagree with that. I'm not a good self-promoter. You're not a self, you don't toot your own horn. You're not a tutor. I'm not very good at that, no. It's okay. It's okay. That's what we're here for. One of the many things we are here for. I have to ask you, though, because, again, you you are a font of kind of the overall Barney Miller canon. Uh, again, not that we're not, but we're getting there. Um, is this considered one of the better episodes of the show? Like, where was it? Okay. Yeah. No, I think it's a very, I think it's a very good and it's an interesting episode because of the way it tackles the Indian character. It's so kind of different and smart for the time. It feels a little bit more dialed in than I would expect a show. Not that I didn't expect it with this show, but I would expect of a show at that time. Well, I think, I think that's exactly it. The fact is that while there might be aspects that wouldn't lie today in, in circa 1978 or 79, that treatment of that subject matter was so far ahead. Right. And that is totally, I'm sure, totally due to Max Gale's influence on the episode. Oh, yeah. hundred was, I can't remember if there was a how joke in here or not, but I mean, we are so far beyond where we were even five years ago, Chris, when we were talking about Kolchak and the Machimanito and just how we had, you know, William Smith and Red Face and, just all of this kind of horse shit about, you know, Indians and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, and then there was even that one where Richard Keel played an Indian as well. Right. In brown face. Right. And I was like, oh my God, can we get away from this stuff? And here we actually have Charles White Eagle playing George Ten Fingers. And I'm like, thank you. You actually have a Native American person playing a Native American. That's very nice. Who I saw earlier this year in Altered States where they kind of, I mean, it's it's not... It's about, I don't know, it's about as, they treat it about the same way they treat it here. It's kind of the weird 70s way, but I don't I don't think right. it's disrespectful. You know, I think about, like, one of my favorite shows, mentioning Kolshak, uh, The X-Files, at the end of the second season, going into the third season, they incorporate the Anasazi, the, the, right. real, the real, you know, Native American tribe that kind of just disappeared. And they kind of have this whole thing about Mulder being healed by a, the, the blessing way and all this shit. And watching it now, it does kind of feel hinky in a way. Like, it's like, oh, you know, the magic indigenous folk, they come and save the white man. Yeah. And like, it does really kind of smack of a way of telling stories and approaching cultures that is not as complex and respectful as it is now. But I don't think that they were going into it then with this kind of cavalier attitude of, we don't give a shit about being respectful. I just don't think they really knew how in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. That's probably true. Yeah, I think that's probably true. 
And the internet is a massive equalizer for pieces of information that people just need to know to be able to make decisions in a way that is less offensive just right out of the gate. But I also tend to think that no matter what era you're in, you're always going to get some people who are so far ahead of the curve that they're going to treat a subject matter with dignity and respect and more complexity. And then, and then even as the, that as the culture in general becomes more educated, you're still going to get people who are going to treat certain such. Probably, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And just kind of sloppily and lazily, you know, I mean, that's, that's part and parcel of the fact that some people are really good at their craft and some are not. Well, I mean, just think about Mazursky, a movie, uh, you know, Harry and Tonto, a movie we watched earlier this year, Otto, for the Culture Cast, which you can find over at weirdingwaymedia.com. Uh, they treated, I think, the the character in that movie about as respectfully as they treat uh, the character in this, where it's, again, it's like, you know, we understand that we don't understand their culture entirely, but we're not going to, like Mike, like you said, poke fun at the how or hey, how are you? Like, none of that. Like, right, right. Oh, there were some weird shots in this one of George Ten Fingers. You know, we talked uh, a couple episodes ago, I think, Chris, about some of those weird insert shots of mm-hmm. Dietrich. Mm-hmm. And in this, we get other insert shots, and they're from like a a higher angle looking down on him. And then later on, we get like regular, like the camera's more level with his eyes. But it's just this odd thing when they're talking about him and the camera's up and looking down. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like the lighting is a little bit different. I mean, it's not as off as those intros now of Levitt and Dietrich would just stick out like a sore thumb in the opening credits. Yeah, but, they really do, don't they? Oh, boy, oh, boy. they them too long. They sure do, man, especially poor Dietrich. And it's just like, it feels like he's just telling a story to somebody and laughing at his own story. And they just keep holding and holding and holding. Two seconds longer and it would have been police squad level of parody. (laughs) Right. Yeah, the wall falls down behind him. <laughs> Levitt standing there fixing his tie, and in the background, Blandisburg's just on fire running by. And they, funny that you say that, because I was thinking, I had not watched anything from season five in a while, and I'm watching that last night, and I'm thinking, they're holding on this shot way too long. Yeah, I really hope that they won. You know, well, obviously, they're going to have to drop Jack Sue in season six in the opening credits, but I'm hoping they go back to the opening music from two seasons ago, which is it doesn't do that jump of octaves and it, it overstates welcome one whole, uh, you know, the bar too long where it's just like they go. You know, you're up here and then it's like, oh, and then here's Luger and the music goes higher. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just go back to the old stuff. I just missed the the freeze frame of Hal Linden going when he's <laughs> laughing outside of one of one of, if not the only time in the ever in the show, we essentially see in front of yeah. them walking in. It's just him going, which I have to say, <laughs> it is my favorite freeze frame that and the the freeze frame that exists because they had to put it in the intro. Max Gale doing karate for oh, literally boy. no goddamn reason. I kind of miss that. I miss it too because it was like, man, that still makes no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was taking karate training. 
just in that one episode, we're going to use that for the opening credits. And one episode, right? Yeah. And, and now it's him at that board. And I just keep looking at those other names on the board. And I'm just like, where's Mike? Where's Mike at? <laughs> I was waiting for Mike to show up when Barbara Berry showed up. There was Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey. Yeah, yeah, I that's... brought my favorite policeman with me. Yeah. <laughs> God, Nick is gone. Mike is not coming back. You two get over it. Well, then, uh, yeah. We just can't let it go. On it's a... not like our comments section. <laughs> <laughs> let it go. The in-jokes are too much for us. <laughs> Mike, um, oh my God, that was played by... Uh, Oh yeah, the guy that was uh you know he was another Kolchak veteran. Uh, I think it was played by Art Matrano, wasn't it? You're right, yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. He was part of the headless biker episode of Kolchak. Yep. That's Had a right. much more satisfying role in that, let's say. <laughs> See, now I've never seen all the Kolchak episodes. I've seen the movies and I've seen some of the episodes. Oh. Well, when the when the DVD came out, I kind of like got swayed from buying it because people said, "Oh, it was a two sided disc, and people were having trouble with this and all that." So I got frightened away from. It. Huh. Now there's a Blu-ray out there right now that you should totally pick up. No, I, li- I like Cold Jack, and I didn't watch it when it was originally on because. <laughs> At the time, I think it went up against Dean Martin's Celebrity Roast. Oh boy, yeah, you gotta you gotta choose your battles. And Dean Martin's Celebrity Roast was holy cow. Was I? There was, was no question in my mind at that age. Oh, Tommy, yeah, I've yeah. never. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. But I'm already. I'm. I'm engaged already. Oh yeah, there's oh. some great stuff out there. I want to say that we even have a clip of uh, uh, Peter Falk on that roast. If not that, it was something very similar. Yes, Peter Paul is it plays Columbo. Yes, on the Frank Sinatra roast. If you have never seen a Dean Martin roast, I beg of you to watch some over the holiday. I did beg of you. It's so good. It is so and good. I can't wait. I want to hear your. <laughs> hey, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Dean Martin. He looked really bloated in Cannonball Run, so maybe it'll be better. Oh, it definitely is. This is Dino, not necessarily at his prime, but definitely, well, but he, he's he's blitzed out of his mind, but he looks a lot better than he did in Cannibal Run, because this is like almost 10 years earlier. Oh, well, that's good. Well, that's hor- horrifying, but yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It really, it's, yep, yep. Yeah, but- One of the few things from 2022 that Dean Martin just looking like a bloated fat man, just but Chris, oh. you you are uh, a student of of film and television. So the great thing about these roasts is how bizarrely edited they were. Oh yeah. Okay. So that they would have, say, they'd have like a dais of like eighteen people, right? But in reality, there were only six people, or I mean, now like twelve people there. But at the beginning, when they announce everyone coming in to sit down at the table, they, oh no, yeah, yeah, they were just, <laughs> and then they would have the guy or woman stand there in a studio and talk and turn their head as though they were talking to the roastee, but there's no one there. And oh my god! They cut all these shots of people on the dais laughing, except for the fact that they would show the same cuts. 
of them laughing <laughs> like three or four times at the show. <laughs> Man, I wanted to know how much cocaine were they using in this editing room? Because it sounds like it would have been a fucking nightmare. Oh, mm-hmm. We're probably all drunk, but the the guy who made it was a guy a guy named Greg Garrison. He was he was Dean's producer, and he was very protective of Martin, and he wanted to make sure they got what they got and made it possible so Dean could do the least amount of work. <laughs> Fucking of course. Yeah, this is this is the truth. I mean, he started with the with, that was the point on the um, on the variety show, and this basically talked about spinoff. This was an offshoot of the variety show because when they got tired of writing an entire hour long show, they started taking the first half as the variety show, and the second half started as these roasts, and then eventually they just started doing the roasts because it was even that much easier for Dean. And basically, everybody just read off cue cards that the writers wrote for them. Uh-huh. There were only a few people who were allowed to write their own stuff. Basically, Jonathan Winters, Don Rickles, Don Rickles, Don Rickles owns. Oh, well now, well now, well now, I'm sold. That's all he had to say was Mr. Venom himself. I oh wish I he's bought- one of my fucking favorites. Period. I bought my grandmother the whole set because I used to sell them off the TV all the time. And like, oh, the Dean Martin roast. And you'd buy like the DVD set. And I wish that I would have been able to to get those after the old lady kicked off. But I don't know where the, where they ended up at. But, you know, God bless them. Oh, nice. Nice. Don Rickles, man. He he. Uh, yeah, I was wondering because I was trying to think to myself, like, who would have been there doing those? And like you have it, it. There's only one name that came to the front of my mind was Don Rickles. So Rick, I think it's safe to say I think Mike might agree with me. Rickles was at his absolute best on these things. Yes. Absolutely. But do but do, do they ever have anybody from Barney Miller on on in there? A Vagoda did so. Yeah. Rose. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The level of celebrity on here is pretty amazing. I remember Orson Welles showed up once, if memory serves. Yeah. Jesus. More than once. More than wow. Than yeah. Yeah. Orson Welles was on the Sinatra one. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's why I think I remember it the most because I've got that, that fault clip where he's playing Columbo. That's amazing. So let's move on to the analyzer, voice analyzer, which uh, you guys are going to have to help me out here because I remember two storylines going on and I don't remember the third. The main storyline is the voice analyzer itself, which is it's basically a lie detector test. Uh, We've got the return of Lieutenant Scanlon coming in here, George Murdoch just doing his thing and a man that you love to hate he is so despicable and i love when he shows up because he is just so awful and he always gets humiliated which is fantastic so we've got him coming in investigating because there's a newspaper story where uh it's been reported that people from all of these different precincts are taking bribes including the detectives of the 12th precinct so it really narrows it right down it's not another shift. It's not somebody on another floor where they've got the plain clothesmen. It's this group of guys. Somebody is a dirty cop, or are they? Because it's just being printed in the newspaper. And, you know, we, we, we know all about fake news now, don't we, folks? Oh. We know all about it. <laughs> the worst deal we've ever had frankly <laughs> this was actually in newsweek the magazine the the um 
the weekly news magazine that was a national magazine. I don't even know. Is it is it still in print, Newsweek? I'm not sure. It was like the rival for Time for a yeah. long time. Correct. It was Time's big rival. And then later on, they introduced that uh, U.S. News and World Report. Right. It was like three networks and three, because Time was owned by CBS or vice versa. CBS was owned by Time or something. Time Life presents. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, I, Mike, I don't think you're, I think those are the only two storylines in this are the the um, the bribery scandal and, and Scanlon and the, the uh, what do you call it? The, the furrier. Furrier, right. The, the uh, stolen furs. The stolen furs. Right. Now we're uh, we got two now Greece, two Greece uh, cast members are now uh, part of this show. We got good old Barry Pearl looking, well, not looking like a teenager. Definitely not. <laughs> you know, definitely, he's no teenager. You know, Facebook was. I have to admit that Facebook was really a big help in this book because I like I, I originally joined Facebook because they wanted me to do it on the radio station I was on because I wouldn't have been my thing. And what when I learned very quickly on Facebook was to not use Facebook the way it was originally intended. And I started using Facebook the way, what was the one that people were supposed to use for business network? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Thank you, LinkedIn. So I started using Facebook the way LinkedIn was meant to be used. And at one point... I was writing something on Facebook one day about the fact that I was researching the book or whatever. And Barry Pearl was a friend of a friend of mine on Facebook. And he wrote me this, sent me this story, this remembrance of his time. Oh, wow. Episode. And I credit him in the book. And I, and I tell the story on this episode where he said he was in, he was a child actor and he was in Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. And when Bye Bye Birdie went on the road, they went, for a while and did it in Vegas in one of the big hotels. And he said, while I was there, I saw Jack Sue in one of the hotels. I think it was the Frontier, he said, doing flower drum song. Oh, wow. And he said, for whatever reason, I was just so impressed by Jack Sue and so amazed at him. And, and I, I, I really admired him. So he says, when I got the gig on Barney, I was so excited because I'm here. I was going to meet one of my heroes. Oh my god! Wow. And he said, I was very upset the day I got there because I found out once I got on set that he was in the hospital with esophageal cancer. Oh right. And to add something even eerier, the day this episode was aired, January eleventh, nineteen seventy nine, was the day Jack Sue died. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Side note, Barry Pearl, super awesome individual as well. I actually have had the pleasure of speaking with him when we did a episode on Greece, uh, what feels like uh, probably close to a decade ago now. So wow. I love seeing him in things because he's not in enough stuff, but he's good here. They just don't have much for him to do, unfortunately. Right, right. Yeah, I thought he was very good. But yeah, the part is not a big part. But um, uh, yeah, from what I know of him on Facebook, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, very nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got this guy who uh, is trying to scam the system. Alan Rich, another just f super familiar face. My goodness. And uh, he's there's Mr. Ramson, who's had his car stolen, and his car was stolen with $20,000 worth of furs in it. So, oh my gosh, we got to make this police report, start the insurance procedure. And, of course, we're going to get Barry Pearl coming in later on, talking about 
just said there was no value to these furs whatsoever. And yeah, wouldn't you know that he's trying to scam the insurance. So thank you, criminal, for actually helping us out here. And meanwhile, we've got George Murdoch, Lieutenant Scanlon, going through now and investigating every single member of the old one, too. And using this, um, like I said, it's basically a lie detector test, but it uses the uh, the waves from your speech and test the stress inside of that. And we get varying results here, uh, especially Wojo just almost blowing out the machine and then here you go, Chris. I was here it is, so baby. Well, we have the confirmation that Dietrich is actually an alien from outer space. It's true. <laughs> it is true, Your Honor. This man is an alien. <laughs> this is this is canon, yes, Otto. Is this not is this not canon or is this a joke? <laughs> At the end, he says I was born October 12, 1947 in Columbus, Ohio. And then they all look at me and said, Hey, it had to be set. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes, I love that aspect of the episode, just as I love that episode where uh, the guy comes, supposedly comes back from the future. Have you, have you guys seen that one? Oh, yes. Yes, we have. With, uh, with um, oh, God, Richard Libertini. Yes. Yep. And he's like, hey, Dietrich, you're not Arthur Dietrich, are you? Uh, he's a fucking alien. There's no other explanation at this point. And he's immortal. And you know what? I'm glad that there is this kind of in-joke on this show. I really am. Because they have, you know, they have gone so many times into this interesting direction that, again, felt like it should have just been on Shack, where we have a werewolf and we have, um, a, I guess, a ghost at one point. You know, both Kevin Tigar episodes. Tigar, Tiger, however you pronounce his name. Kenneth Tiger. Kenneth Tiger, yeah. But... That they just kind of go all the way with this, I do appreciate. I do really appreciate it. Even if they're not being serious, it's headcanon for me now. <laughs> it's wonderful. I was so happy with that. <laughs> just to have those different reactions between the two, and then that Barney actually gets to use the machine against Scanlan later on and catch him in all the lies that he's trying to do. Like, oh, no, no, this won't be held against you, and the machine just goes off. And that poor put-upon guy that's trying to actually, like, use the machine, the, the the calibration guy who's monitoring everything, that guy just, he hates his life. And I kind of <laughs> appreciate him for that. I'd like it acknowledged that that guy, his name is Philip Roth. He didn't do a lot of stuff. Yes, not the author, the actor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Roth, and but he is also in one of my all-time favorite films, and that is What's Up, Doc? Oh, I, yeah. Two. He plays uh, like the government. Uh, he he almost plays like a spy in that. Who's after this? Supposedly, I guess a journalist who's who has stolen government documents to try to show the people, you know, what the government is doing without telling them and stuff like that. Um, he's brilliantly funny in that as well. But I also wanted to just make a quick mention that Alan Rich, along with Phil Leeds in the, in the other episode, um, both were blacklisted during the black. And Danny actually kind of made a habit of hiring people who had been blacklisted. Um, oh, yeah. We've seen uh, Jeff Corey's already shown up. Yeah, I remember yeah. he was blacklisted. Yeah. Jeff Corey, yeah, there's the, he, he does it a number of times. Um, so I always found that very uh, 
very interesting. Gave me another reason to like Danny. <laughs> yeah, and also another uh, Phil Broth was also another patient in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So a common theme here, as well as, of course, you know, uh, Chris, we were talking earlier, uh, uh, Jimmy the Shoeshine Boy from uh, Naked, or uh, sorry, Police Squad as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, lots of good faces in that crowd. Roth and Cuckoo's. I got. I haven't seen Cuckoo's Nest in so long. I got to go back and see it again. It's been too long for me as well. I mean, that's one that I try to watch every couple of years. Yeah, yeah, the great film. Yes, it is. Uber I've thing. never seen it. Oh wow. Oh well, I got. You should talk to Father Malone, but also you should probably think about that because we're going to be doing all those great. Uh, um, uh, Milos Forman films in May on the culture cast available yeah. from weirdingwaymedia.com. There you go. Hey. I, uh, it's, it's on my list of uh, movies to watch. I have the book. I bought the book uh, earlier this Ooh. year. <laughs> the book's a little different, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. I like to read. So it's just more, I, it's more, uh, more along the lines of I have the book, which means once I read said book, I will watch said movie, no matter how different they are. Mm-hmm. It's like the war. I, I read The Warriors too. Vastly oh, different boy. from the movie. <laughs> it's yeah. Very different from the movie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't read cuckoo's nest oh my god i just remember all that talk about the combine you know the combine's coming for you and all this and it's kind of interesting that it's all narrated by chief yeah yeah and this so i i'm trying to remember when i read it i can all i can tell you was that it was long before chris was born that's all that's, I that's a that's a very large more time was before than after yeah i probably read that book before chris was born as well yeah yeah hmm hmm also, oh, to be young again. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, of course, Lieutenant Scanlan walks away with egg on his face, swearing revenge, spitting, and he's going to get you one of these days here, Barney. He's going to he's you. One of these days, you're going to slip up. I'm going to find out about that cabin, and I'm going to come for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have had you too if it hadn't been for that meddling alien. Yes. <laughs> there you go. And yes, you you can. I, I'm sure you guys already know this, but rest assured, this is not the last of, of that you've seen. Oh, I sure hope not. No, no, we got three more seasons, man. We even got more of this season here because on the next episode, we're going to be back and we're going to talk about the spy. We're going to go ahead and cover both parts of Wojo's Girl, which I think, out of memory, serves you think that that's one of the worst episodes of Bernie ever. I think part two of Wojo's Girl is the worst episode in the history of the series. All right. Well, man, right. We're going to try to wash the bad taste out of our mouth, and we're going to wrap that episode up with middle age, because then we're going to have two more uh, episodes after that of the fifth season. And then according to our talk earlier, we're going to dip into some fish territory for a little bit. So then God bless us. You know, interestingly enough, I think that I think in the book I say that one was kind of that episode didn't seem to have the same energy either. But then they get right back on track after that with one of my favorites called The Counterfeit. Again, we've got Max Gale back in the directing seat for the those two episodes afterwards. We're going to have Max Gale in the directing seat one time each, and then we were talking earlier, Chris. This is the season of no pit, no pitlick, just doing his thing for almost every single episode yeah i i guess as, as we as we end this episode because i always ask you otto since this is your your appearance for the fifth season 
fifth season of the show, where is it considered in the pantheon of Barney Miller? Because I think, Mike, I don't want to speak for you. I'll speak for myself. This has been a season of some very high highs. Not a whole lot of really low low. Um, There have been some issues with the season, I think, but those issues kind of exist because of real life things like Jack Sue, obviously. And then, you know, the Barbara Berry stuff also being kind of a real life thing. So I'm just curious, where where does the fifth season stand in the Barney Miller uh, kind of series as a whole? Well, I mean, I still think it's the only season that I ever felt was like, I think season seven might be the weakest season. And then I think they make a little bit of a comeback in season eight. Um, Danny will be gone in season six and season seven. Right. Due to health issues. So that may have been affecting him in season five as well. I think season five is still a strong uh, season. There are, there are a few missteps in there. But I still think it's season five is a very strong season, and you get some, uh, you know, like you say, you get your, you get your, you've got Scanlan in it. You've got um, uh, coming up. We are going to be introduced <laughs> to a character uh, in season near the yeah near the end of season five. We're going to be introduced to a character that will be recurring for the rest of the of the series. That is a very interesting character, in my opinion. Um, no, I think it's a strong season. Uh, I think probably like most sitcoms, for whatever reason, season three is the strongest. Uh, I don't know why that is among sitcoms. I always used to say the same thing about the Andy Griffith show, that season three was the strongest. But um, no, that that's a great thing for me about Barney is just how consistent it was throughout the course of it. I mean, season one... Looking, watching it now is a little hard to watch because the characters haven't found themselves completely yet, but it's still incredibly well written. And, and even season seven, when I, when I think it loses a little, uh, of its mojo, it's still better than most of what's on television. So, um, it was incredibly consistent. I think season five is a strong season. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just only get your time once a season. So I figure got to ask holistic when we can. So, yeah, right. Oh. I think uh, I think it's a good. Uh, there's some good episodes. Like I say, I love the counterfeiter. Uh, I like the Indian. Uh, these are. I thought these episodes. These these three we discussed today. I thought they're all strong episodes. I thought they're all good episodes. Um, and of course, because I love the Dietrich character so much. Of course, you know, season five, he's really coming into his own. So, oh yeah. He feels like the star of this season. I think we've obviously talked about him a lot because we're both huge fans of what he has brought to the show. But this season has definitely felt like he is the one who the jokes are going through almost constantly, which, again, not going to complain about. I just don't want it to be a Abe Vigoda situation again where it's like, all right, not everything has to be a Dietrich joke. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't um, I don't think so. Although... Although, yes, I do think he is the funniest character, per se, throughout the rest of the series for me. Because people always ask me, what's your favorite character? And I'm like, well, my two favorite characters, one was Nick Yamada, the other one was was Dietrich. But I loved all the characters. I mean, I, I liked all the characters. There weren't any that I did, didn't like. But uh, I do think Dietrich is the funniest in terms of the, the lines and, and things that he gets. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have the big storyline with um, with Harris and his book coming up, 
and uh, and Wojo continues to mature. Bionni, in my opinion, and as we go on, so it'll be interesting to see when I join you guys for season six. Bionni, as we go on, you tend to see him start to get more frustrated oh. with John and with and with the fact that, and I think he uses this analogy in one of the shows, them spinning their wheel. Oh, yeah. Crime's always a problem. So maybe it's about time that Barney take the law into his own hands. <laughs> Death bitch style. Barney Miller. Yes. Barney Miller. Street vigilante. That is. <laughs> I mean, at some point they were just like, all right, Charles, we need to replace you with another actor who has a great mustache. How, Lyndon? What are you doing? <laughs> Stage? All right. Come on down. You're right. <laughs> well, and speaking of people that have great mustaches, Otto, what are you up to these days? I'm growing out my full beard. Did you know? I that? like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, you got like a little color differentiation here. You got the darker and then the lighter. I got some weird shit going. I, I think I might be doing the same, but yeah. <laughs> it's the, In the winter tonight, I let it go full face. But yeah. Uh, no, actually, I... I have started work on a new book, but I'm not saying anything yet because I'm one of those people who always gets a little ticked off when you hear someone on a show saying that they're doing a book or they're doing a movie, and then we never see from, see or hear of it again. But haven't you just now done that? Well, no, because I didn't tell you what. They didn't tell her what it is. Yeah, it could I, be anything. If I come out with a new book in a couple of years, you don't know if that's the book I'm working on. <laughs> Very fair. I could abandon it and start something different. It's fair. Valid. But what about the books you have worked on and have completed? Well, Where could people find those? Barney Miller book, Barney Miller and the Files of the Old One Two, as you so kindly pointed out, Chris, is available at BearManorMedia.com. It's also on um, uh, BarnesandNoble.com and Amazon.com. And uh, I'm just uh, getting ready to do some more teaching. And then hopefully when the weather clears up, we'll do some more um, speaking and get you this and stuff like that. My IT guy is home from school now for a month. So I'm going to decide whether I'm going to actually do another website because I haven't had one for years. Um, I know people are telling me I probably should, but we'll see what happens with that. So I'll keep you informed. Don't worry. I'm so I'm personally... Very excited about the fact that I'm now in the universe, in the podcast universe of both Chris Stashu and Mike White. Chris Stashu, I've already done two uh, culture casts. With, no, I did one culture cast and one, give me the name of it. Bollywood Cinema Club, available at weirdingwaymedia.com. There you go. So I've done one each of those. And then the honor of all honors now coming up. Because it's hard to get into it. Well, it's hard to get into it for what I damn straight it is. <laughs> Unless you know a guy. If you know a guy and you know the right guy, it's not it's not as hard. But that guy's got to like you, too. I'm going to be on the projection booth in 2023, and I am very honored and excited about that. I think you're going to be on like three times or something. I am. I get to do Rules of the Game, the Nochka, and the Black Legion. Quite a, quite a triple feature there. And where can people find that podcast, Mike White, The Projection Booth, the internet's finest movie podcast? Just like this podcast, you can find it over at weirdingwemedia.com, as well as all of your other platforms, your Stitchers, your iTunes, all that kind of stuff. Go on over, subscribe, leave us a review, as long as it's kind things to say. Don't talk about how woke I am. I already know. You're not warning anybody. Everybody that listens to the show knows that I'm some sort of dyed-in-the-wool liberal 
a-hole from Detroit. So that's what you get. He bleeds blue, folks, and not the kind where you're back in it. (laughs) Wait a a minute. I'm the writer of Barney Miller book, and I consider myself pretty woe. So I endorse this man and this podcast. (laughs) 